the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Whether you believe him or not. Yeah, Hunter Biden's buddy, or I guess maybe now former good buddy and business partner, Devin Archer, testified before the House Oversight Committee on Monday. It wasn't televised, so Dan Goldman, a Democrat, uh, came out of that meeting and said that Devin had said that when, you know, Joe Biden would call during their meetings, yeah, he called, but he would just talk about the weather. And that got Dan an award. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. And when he was asked about it, uh, Dan went on to insult everybody's intelligence again. Doesn't it contradict the president's statement saying that he never talked to any of Hunter Biden business associates? Clearly he talked, whether about the weather or whatever, but he said specifically that he's never talked to them. Doesn't this contradict that? I, I don't know what his comment is, and if we're going to... Well, I don't, I don't think that's what he said. He never said that he has never spoken to anyone. He said that he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. If he says hello to someone that he sees his son with, well, is he supposed to say, hi, son? Oh, no, I'm not going to say hello to the other people at the table or the other people on the phone. It's kind of a preposterous premise to think that a father should not say hello to people that the son are at dinner with. The son is at dinner with. And that is literally all the evidence is. Yeah, right. Well, actually, Joe Biden was asked directly by Peter Ducey if he ever spoke to his son about his business dealings, and he said, no, never, not once. As it turned out, the transcript from this testimony showed that everybody knew why Hunter's dad was calling, and it had nothing to do with the weather, as anybody would believe that. So whether he likes it or not, Congressman Dan Goldman is the winner of this week's AM 1250 Jerk of the Week Award. When we come back, how would you feel about your kids being part of a Confucius classroom funded by the Chinese communists? It's going on in public schools all over the country. And in our second half hour, remember when SportsCenter on ESPN mattered? Remember when ESPN mattered? We'll talk to a guy from AwfulAnnouncing.com about what went wrong there and where they're headed. Stick around. Well, we come up with uh, great advertisements for school choice around here every day. Here's another one. The communist Chinese are spending millions of dollars to infiltrate our schools. Uh, and we're not talking about colleges here, although they do that or have done that. We're talking about K through 12. Nikki Niley is founder and president of Parents Defending Ed... Neely, sorry. Nikki Neely, I'm sorry, is founder and president of Parents Defending Education, and she joins us now. Nikki, thanks for coming on, and I apologize for mispronouncing your name, which is a bad way to start. Thanks. No, it's all good. Thanks for having me. So uh, what is a Confucius classroom, and who thinks that they're a good idea? 
Sure. So Confucius Classrooms are programs in K-12 schools, like you said, that teach Chinese language and culture. And these are programs that are specifically funded and promoted by the Chinese government, the People's Republic of China. And so this is, just to be very clear, not to say that all Chinese language programs are bad, absolutely not, um, but we just wanted to flag and raise awareness that this is a program that is, again, promoted, funded, and backed by the Chinese government, which many parents probably have no idea about and might have problems with. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess I understand if, if there's nothing wrong with having the kids learn about China or uh, Russia or Italy or, or any other country, but why the fascination among the people in the public school systems with China and Chinese? Right. I mean, you know, I think back 20 years ago when everyone was told you have to learn Japanese, this is the next big thing. Um, and so, yeah, the so Mandarin has been the thing for many years recently um, for children to learn and know about, to be able to participate in a global economy. And that's great. We, we do and we should want children to learn multiple languages and learn about other cultures. But I think, you know, where parents start to have concerns and where questions need to be raised are, what are children learning? Um, because in many cases, you know, if my child was learning Spanish, I could kind of figure out what they were learning on a day-to-day basis. Even when my child learns Mandarin, I will have a much harder time doing so. And I personally would have a problem with my child learning um, a one-child policy, not learning about Tiananmen, Tibet, Taiwan. Um, you know, I want my child to learn, as the teachers even say, true history and not a sanitized version of Chinese history. So how long has this been going on, and how widespread are these uh, Confucius? Uh, we, have, we have identified um, over 143 districts across the country that have been operating um, going back as far as 2009. This is kind of a soft power exercise that is, um, frankly, an extension of their Belt and Road Initiative, where they're trying to uh, build goodwill among people. Um, and so we, in the course of our investigation over the past four months, um, yeah, we, we found um, 143 districts across America, seven of which still have programs in operation. Um, and many of these programs are, you know, they're in red states. They're on military bases. So this is not just a, like a red state, blue state thing. This is absolutely everywhere. What got you interested in investigating this just in the last four months? Sure. In March, actually, we had a tip from a uh, parent in Northern Virginia about um, the formerly America's number one magnet school, Thomas Jefferson School for Science and Technology, um, that had received over a million dollars in entities linked to the Chinese military, Tsinghua University and a, a variety of other foundations. Um, and so when we uncovered this, um, we flagged it for Governor Yunkin, Attorney General Miaris in Virginia, and then we started asking ourselves, well, if this is happening here, is this happening anywhere else? And when we started digging into it, we found that, yes, in fact, it is. Um, there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of talk over the past several years about Confucius Institutes at the higher education level, but relatively little attention paid to what's been going uh, on in K-12 schools. What I guess I don't get is at some point, when we pick a, any one of these districts, somebody uh, – got information and was asked, hey, how'd you like to have a Confucius classroom? And just said, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. Did they know that they were dealing with the Chinese communist government? Or, or did some yeah. friendly salesman come by and knock on their door and say, hey, I no, got this? It's, yeah, it's, um, it, it's um, kind of a little bit of both. Um, at the beginning, you know, we have access to and we have posted on our website the board documents, the memorandums, the understanding, the contracts between the Confucius classrooms and the districts. 
Um, and at the beginning, it was largely through um, Hanban, through the Confucius Institute. Sometimes the Confucius Institute, sometimes at the university level, would sort of serve as the point of contact to get into the districts. Um, but then after, in 2020, when Secretary Betsy DeVos and Secretary Mike Pompeo started digging into it at the higher education level and cracking down through the Higher Education Act, which requires transparency of foreign funding in, in uh, colleges, um, a lot of these university cl- programs closed. And some of the programs in the K-12 side went underground. And so they ended up um, funding money, kind of funneling money through um, nonprofits and a variety of other entities. But the origin point of the money, as well as the curriculum and the teachers in many cases, are still from the People's Republic of China. By the way, the, uh, the website is defendinged.org, defendinged.org, as in defending parents defending education. We're talking to uh, Nikki Nilish. She's the founder and president of uh, Parents Defending Education. Uh, so I still, the, the money you say was, it went underground. And so at some point, they, somebody thought it was a bad idea to let anybody know that, where the money was actually coming from. Who right. who, was, who decided money. to put it underground, the Chinese or the people who were accepting the Chinese money? Um, a little a little bit of both, it seems like. Um, in some cases, yeah, the, the programs went in Kentucky. Um, they were run through University of Western Kentucky, and now there's a foundation. In Texas, same thing. There's the International Leadership of Texas organization that was created, sometimes with some of the same individuals that were involved. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that if it's gone, kind of, if they're trying to sanitize it, um, it, that starts to raise questions. And at the end of the day, we want parents just to be able to know what is going on so they can make informed decisions whether they want their children to participate in these programs or not. Because as of right now, most people have no idea what's going on. And, you know, maybe some of these school officials thought, you know, this is great. We have a free teacher. We have free lessons. We're getting money. This is terrific. But as you and I know, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And so that's why we wanted to start asking questions so that people could be um, forewarned and forearmed. Where do the teachers come from? Um, there are some of the districts had teachers that would come over from from China. Um, and, you know, as part of the um, five-year plan, 50-year plan that they have had for, for teachers, you know, you can't become a teacher without checking a lot of ideological boxes with the Communist Party, and certainly not get a travel visa to go and teach overseas, again, unless you have checked a lot of those boxes. And so to have those foreign nationals in our school with access to student data is something that we think families should think about. So let me see if I have this right. The school district would pay for a teacher to travel here from China, and um, we have a pretty good idea that if they did come from China and they did go to work at the school, that the school was uh, actually employing Chinese communists, if not actual communists, but uh, indoctrinated um, teachers to come and teach their kids. These these teachers were paid to come over here. Um, yes, some some districts were paying the teachers. Sometimes it was a free teacher, free kind of in quotation marks. Um, and so yeah, there's there's a lot of money flowing both ways. Um, but yeah, they're getting um, visas and the, the whole kind of the whole boat. So it's, um, it's, it, 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 it's a lot. It's a lot to take in a lot to process. And that's that's really amazing. It's one thing to, to have up come up with some kind of a program. And uh, whoever's funding it, the Chinese, whoever it is, you know, giving you the, 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 the lesson plan and all that stuff. But actually, taking the time, the trouble, the money to fly an actual human being from China 
to Kentucky or Virginia or wherever this stuff was happening and have that person be the teacher? And what would they be teaching? Um, right. Chinese language, Chinese culture. And so we did polling on this. We asked parents, voters, um, you know, would you want to know, would you want a translation of foreign materials? Do you think it's appropriate for um, foreign nationals to have access to student data? And across political lines, across racial lines, parents have a problem with that. And so that's why we just wanted to put this out there so that people could start to look at and ask questions about their own district, about the programs that their own children are in. Because certainly not every Chinese language program in the country participates in this. Um, but the fact that we have found these in 34 states plus D.C. means that it is fairly widespread. And, I mean, I, I took Spanish in, in high school, but they didn't fly anybody in from Spain to teach the course. There was somebody there who was capable of teaching the language who didn't actually come from the country. I, and I, we learned about a lot of countries in school. Why is it only China that has been able to come up with the uh, idea and the wherewithal to send people over here to teach in our schools? Well, it's, you know, it's not happening. Nobody from Spain is coming over or France just right. for that purpose. Well, yeah. It does. It feels strategic, um, you know, and, and so I think, again, we just we need to kind of ask why, where and how. And is this something that we are OK with? And I think, you know, there there certainly are parents in this country who would think, you know what, I would rather have a native Chinese speaker come and teach my child rather than having, you know, Nikki from Virginia teach my child Mandarin. I would almost certainly, you know, so th that's a choice that parents should make. But it's a choice right now that they're not allowed to make because they're not being told the full set of information. It's just amazing to me. It's, it's, it's kind of like during the Cold War in the 70s, the 60s, and even into the 80s, it would be like, I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think there's much difference in having someone from Russia be flown over here to teach Russian culture and language to the kiddies. Somebody, right. a comrade so-and-so, flying over here from Russia. It's sick. Right. Or, or, you know, if there was someone who came from Russia, if they're a Russian dissident, then they're going to teach yeah. Russian history and culture in a far different way than someone who has been approved by the central party apparatus. Yeah. So the, the Russians would it would be it would be the the, the communists in Russia training uh, a teacher and telling that teacher what to teach American kids when they came over here. Who would have put up with that? Right. So. It's a strange point in American history, but, um, you know, we hope that more people are empowered to just ask questions as we start to look, you know, to the new school year that's, that's coming up. Well, I see that the stated objective is to, uh, for these, um, these courses, the uh, Confucius classroom is serve in a supportive role designed to enhance language and cultural experiences of students enrolled in district Mandarin language classes. That all sounds pretty innocent. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the devil's in the details. What is the teacher? What is the curriculum? Um, I, we have seen videos from at the, at the higher education level. Um, I saw a video of a student at the University of Michigan who was singing a song, an opera, praising Chairman Mao. I personally would have a real problem with my child singing an opera praising Chairman Mao. But if I was sitting in the audience, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> and so yeah. we, 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 we should be able to be involved in these decisions. Okay, so you are pushing back on this, and we're talking to Nikki Neely. She's the uh, president of Neely, I'm sorry, uh, Parents Defending Education. Uh, and uh, so you are pushing back on this. 
Who's pushing back on you? Who's telling you that this is a good idea and to leave them alone? Anybody? Um, one of the schools that still has this program in operation is Tulsa Public Schools in Oklahoma. And so they have put out a few indignant statements saying, nothing to see here, move along. Um, which, you know, okay, but we disagree with that. And um, for us to, you know, we have certainly, you know, people have called us anti-Asian that we're trying to stoke, you know, Chinese hatred. That's not true. As a side note, I am Japanese. Not that that matters, but this is not an anti-Asian or an anti-China thing. This is, you know, parents should know who is teaching their children. We have seen over the past three years, parents rise up because they are unhappy about what their children are learning and being taught or not taught. And this is, in my mind, an extension of that. Is my child learning the truth about Hong Kong? I have friends who have fled Hong Kong because they they disagree with what the People's Republic of China is doing there. Um, I want my children to know the truth about Hong Kong and Taiwan and Tibet and the Uyghurs and all of these things. I do not want them to think that, you know, this this warm, wonderful, happy place full of unicorns and kittens when there are real atrocities taking place. Um, and I think, you know, our children deserve to know those those the whole story, warts and all. So there are educators out there who will would, uh, I can understand other people not in the actual education business maybe thinking you're overreacting or that you're, you know, that you're, you're pushing back a little too hard, but actual teachers who know where these people are coming from and what their background is and what their training is, they are still pushing back and saying, no, this is a good idea. We're not giving up on this. Um, yes. And so that is that's certainly a discussion that could and should take place. But the fact that so many districts across the country signed these agreements, you know, went full steam ahead with these programs without the community knowing, without the community being involved. Right. I mean, we really only saw parents rise up and start to attend school board meetings en masse over the past three years. And so if these programs have been going back, you know, to at least 2009, how much of this was happening behind closed doors without any parents, any community members um, being engaged in the process and, you know, saying, I have some concerns about this. Are you sure we can look to somewhere else to get a teacher for this program? Okay, finishing up here with Nikki Neely. She's uh, founder of uh, Parents Defending Education. So, and you've been saying here that you, you're trying to warn parents. What should be a warning sign? I don't know if there are any uh, districts here in Western PA that are doing it who might be listening here, but uh, what do you, how should parents, what should parents do if they find out that their kids are, they have, a, they have a class on Chinese. Should they ask questions? Uh, yeah, they can ask questions. They can look at board documents. Um, they are entitled to it through public records requests to look at the contracts that were signed between the language provider, the teachers, and the district. Um, and if they don't want to be those people, if they don't want to pick a fight with their school or their district, they can certainly reach out to us through our tip line, and we are happy to be those people who dig into it. Um, we have had a number of people over the past two weeks do that, and so we are continuing to investigate this and add to the list of districts that we know about. And so, um, yeah, for, for people to look into, we have also requested um, that both the House and Senate um, in Congress look into this, as well as we have contacted all of the governors in the states where we've identified, identified these programs. Well, that's great. You're doing good work. Um, I'm out of time, but it's defendinged.org. That's who you should uh, c- uh, contact. And it is Nikki Neely. I really appreciate you coming on, Nikki. Again, I apologize for screwing up your name there a little bit, but thanks for coming on. Hope to have you again. No problem. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Okay, you too. We'll be right back. Well, that's why I like this show. We're going to go from speaking about 
Chinese infiltrating our schools to talking about the Sports Center. That's kind of you know where the show goes. We talk about anything, but I can't remember the last time I actually watched Sports Center actually on ESPN. But uh, I've been around long enough to remember when it was a pretty big deal. Jesse Pantusco writes for AwfulAnnouncing.org, and he wrote a column asking if ESPN's flagship, as he calls it, can uh, survive the digital age, and he joins us now. Jesse, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So is the bigger question, uh, based on what's happened lately, can ESPN survive the digital age, at least ESPN as we know it? Yeah, it's looking pretty vulnerable right now. I, I assume you're you're alluding to, at the end of June, the, the mass layoffs. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, uh, uh, you know, Max Kellerman, Steve Young, all just 20 on-air personalities that had been there a really long time in cost-cutting at a time where they're giving $85 million to Pat McAfee and going all-in on sports broadcasting rights mm-hmm. instead of their, their live on-air programming and uh, their talents. So, yeah, they're definitely going through a bit of a transition period, as I think a lot of uh, different outlets are in mainstream legacy media right now. Yeah, not just threatened. not just sports, but everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you write that uh, ESPN is shrinking before our eyes uh, because of so much attention. As you said, they pay so much attention to broadcast rights. But is ESPN really about anything more than games or events anymore when you get down to it? It's It's less and less of that. We've seen it sort of devolve into as Stephen A. Smith has become the face of ESPN and one of the the few survivors as we've seen so much turnover uh, in in the ranks, especially, you know, during COVID and, and now um, with Disney under with Bob Iger back at the helm, um, a five, I believe it's a $5 billion mandate, you know, company wide. And that's led to um, significant budget cuts at ESPN um, so yeah, it's it's a much different product than the glory days what, that of Sports Center that I grew up on in the '90s with Stuart Scott and Dan Patrick and Kenny Maine when it was all about the highlights. Um, and some of that is just a product of new technology and social media. Sports Center fundamentally can't be what it was back in those days um, before the internet, before social media, when you could get highlights on your phone. Now, when you're tuning into SportsCenter, you, most people already know what happened. You've probably seen most of the highlights. So it is, it's a different product than what it was, um, you know, and it makes you nostalgic for a simpler time when, you know, you, you wanted to see your favorite player or right. you, knew, you knew your team was going to get covered at least 30 seconds or a minute of highlights on SportsCenter every moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm from the Boston area, so... You grew up uh, waiting to see the Red Sox or the Patriots um, and what Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott were going to say about them. And now it is a lot more talking heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ESPN in general, is a lot of their content is, I would call it almost infomercials for their tentpole events like the NBA Finals yep. and, and college football. A lot of the stuff on SportsCenter is catered toward the sports that they cover and have big contracts with. And a lot of the product uh, live programming during the day is just sort of infomercials and ad vehicles 
uh, as filler, you know, for where they're getting the big bucks, which is in these huge um, television rights and broadcast contracts. Yeah, you did a. I love this line from your piece today, and we're talking to Jesse Pantusco of uh, awfulannouncing.org. Um, you wrote this talking about why um, what's happening with with um, ESPN and why it may be shrinking. Uh, some of the factors, and you write that the harsh realities of a failing industry that no longer sees journalism as essential playing fast and loose with debate shows peddling contrived takes pandering to the viral masses. I think that sums it up for me. Um, and you mentioned Stephen A. Smith. I, I just uh, sometimes there are there are situations or there's a day when there are a top there are topics or even one major topic that you could debate all day long and you could have different voices debating it. But they're just, I don't know if there's a, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong or maybe if I'm onto something here, but I, there just aren't enough debatable issues out there to fill those shows without having to, as you say, contrive, uh, force it, you know? And that's, that's I think, that's, that's where they lost me. Those shows are yeah. just, I can't take it. Yeah, I think there is a time and a place for debate. And I think that Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon have always done that really well um, on pardon the interruption. Um, first take is a bit longer and you got guys like Stephen A. Smith that has, you know, has to wear so many hats at ESPN and he's stretched so thin that he can't, he just doesn't have time to be informed on every sport. So inevitably he's going to have sports that he's, uh, less informed on and you know he's going to have blind spots and i think that's part of it um Stephen a is sort of and others too in sports media skip bayless on fox and others um as the hot take um sort of industrial complex has uh become so so popular um he's, he's sort of become a character and a character like a cartoon caricature of uh, I, I compare him to a wrestling heel yep. where he takes on the, this personality where they aren't necessarily even, you, you don't even know if they believe in what they're saying, That's right. but it may, but it makes for good television. Yep. He's an entertaining guy and a captivating presence. Um, I don't know if they're making, I would, I would probably say the opposite that they're not making sports uh, smarter. Um, and, and yeah, everything now, it seems like it's catered toward 30 second viral sound bites. And the more inflammatory your take is, um, it's all good engagement, even if it's fundamentally flawed or doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, any publicity is good publicity. And Stephen A and Skip Bayless and all these guys are good at sort of stoking those flames on social media and it's it's not journalism, and it's it's ironic because both of them came from newspaper backgrounds where yeah. they did legitimate journalism, and they have pivoted because probably because there's more money in it. Well, you're not making uh, Stephen A. Smith's making ten million a year. He's not going to make that writing anything. He's gonna, mm-hmm. you only make that if you're on TV. Um, but I, I'm one of my favorites. And by the way, it's um, awfulannouncing.com, right? I'm, I got that wrong. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've been getting names wrong all day today. Um, but here, one of my favorites, and this is this was a couple of years ago, and and it's 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 an example of how they've lost me, and and why I know I don't want to invest a lot of time in it. And I'm an old sports guy; I did sports for thirty years here on TV. Um, 
I was watching. I happened to by accident. I was in a restaurant looking up at the TV on the wall there, and and I think it was MLB.com. It might have been ESPN, but and you know on the bottom of the screen they had the graphic about uh, that told you what they were talking about, and mm-hmm. I so I wasn't listening to the show, but I saw the graphic and it said, "How will um, Joe Smith, whoever whoever it was, being named?" bench coach uh affect the braves this season you know i read that and i went wait a minute these are like there's like four human beings up there they're going to talk about that for more than eight seconds and think anybody wants to hear that first of all if you're not in atlanta you don't care about it at all even if you are it's 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 just insane and that and that's a sign to me uh jesse that uh that there's just there's too much time to fill and not enough time yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. And well, you, we are catching sports at sort of a, a slower period. It's going to wind back up once football season starts. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The summer, the summer is always a bit of a slower period when it's just baseball, um, yeah. which has become less relevant um, over as football and basketball have dominated, um, you know, American yeah. the American culture. It's definitely not um, the pastime anymore. And when you have like front facing guys like Stephen A, who really doesn't follow baseball, that that probably doesn't help um, or hockey. either. But, but yeah, when, when I was growing up, I would watch sports center multiple times and they would have a morning sports center and then they'd have uh, mm-hmm. a late night sports yeah. center after the games and they would replay it. Um, and now there there's, yeah, there's just there. It, there's so much time to fill that it can't all be great. Um, and I think that a lot of these bigger companies sort of don't care if it's great because it's just, it's just filler uh, because that's not where they're, they're making the money anyway. They're making the money on um, the live events. Yeah, and, and even was, if you even if you pay Stephen A. Smith ten million dollars, that's cheap for a show that runs fifty two weeks a year. Yeah, and he a does week. a lot of work, and I, I give him credit for yeah. you know. But for, that's, that's that's nothing. He, Mike Mike Greenberg's another guy like that yeah. where they they've you know um, they have these layoffs. And they're making room for Pat McAfee, but Mike Greenberg. A lot of these guys are just overexposed. Uh, he's doing the morning show, Get Up, and then he's he's anchoring uh, NBA Countdown, mm-hmm. which which I've written about on Awful Announcing. That show, I believe, somebody on Reddit uh, actually figured out that it was sixty four percent ads. Um, wow. Just com- comparing that, I mean, TNT has ads too, but there is just not a lot like they move so quickly. They have 30 second segments before they go back to commercial break and they're not really adding anything to the conversation. Um, and this isn't just a, a problem that's unique to ESPN. Um, I, I, I think just across legacy media in general, it's, it, I think within, I don't know, maybe the last decade, everything has become more blatant in terms of the economy of it and uh, just finding where the profit centers are. And, you know, sports and media and entertainment, it's a business. So, you know, I, I understand that. But the purist in me and, you know, is nostalgic for a simpler time when it wasn't all about the money and when sports could just kind of be fun, which yeah. I, 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 I framed my Sports Center article as not necessarily a criticism of, of the current state of everything, but just a love letter for what I grew up on in the nineties and wishing it could be, it could go back to that way, even though it's, it's kind of, there's, yeah. there's sort of no putting the genie back in the bottle now. Right. We're talking to Jesse Pantusco of awful announcing.com. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since there's been anything other than a, a game that I want to watch, NFL game, uh, pretty much, or hockey would be the only two sports that I pay much attention to anymore nationally. But um, uh, I, I, the only, the only the, or I should say the last maybe can't miss TV for me that I remember outside of games was the sports reporters. I, I made a point to record it and to watch it every Sunday morning, look forward to it. That was the kind of stuff that I liked if it wasn't going to be a game. And there's nothing like that anymore. Is that because they dumbed their audience down to the point that nobody can pay attention long enough to a show like that where two people aren't screaming at each other over a meaningless topic? I mean, probably. Um, and it doesn't necessarily lend itself uh, to you know, viral and and social media engagement and conversation. And I, I completely a hundred percent agree. I, I used to love that show. That was appointment viewing for me. And I do. And I think it, it made people smarter and it shined a light on uh, journalists and sports writers. Um, And, and I don't even think that they don't have, they don't have sports reporters. They don't have really outside the lines anymore with with Jeremy Schapp. A lot of that has, has gone by the wayside. Um, I, you know, we could be here all day discussing why that might be. Um, but, you know, in the social media and smartphone age, you know, we're all addicted to screens and just the way we consume content is different. Um, I think we have shorter attention spans. I don't think the new generation of, of kids growing up they care, don't about wanna... sport, care about sports. They're not, that, si- that they're, not gonna, they're not listening to uh, sports reporters. They're not watching yeah, and, the baseball's really struggling with that. They've fundamentally changed the game so much to make yep. the game shorter, to try and cater to a younger audience. And it might be working a little bit, but I don't think it'll ever be America's pastime again or anywhere near what it was when, when I was growing up in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, there and there are any number of litany of factors. Um, and and it's, it's sad, but I think, but yeah, it's a harsh reality and something we have to, adapt to we've seen it um with with the athletic and the new york times um shuttering their sports department um people don't have the attention span for for long investigative articles anymore um there are so many so many content options um we see the the streaming wars going on now um we're, we're just saturated with options and unfortunately it seems like you know good honest sports reporting is one of you know many fields that is getting squeezed well, I don't know if you pay any attention, and I have about a minute and a half left here. I, I, I don't know if you pay any attention to uh, local news and local sports on TV. I did that for, as I said, a long time. At least 20 years ago, I was trying to ex- tell people that we can't be doing a TV sportscast the same way we did it in 1983, which goes, that's when I, I was doing it back then, too, um, because people have already seen the game. You can't do the sport. When, when I was doing it in the early 80s, the Pirates were televising 30 games a year. I was still doing the same sportscast uh, because I wasn't allowed to do commentaries because I might offend somebody. I was still trying to do the same sportscast, expecting people to watch me at 11.15, uh, a game that they most likely saw and already have seen the highlights 15 times. And so the, uh, on the national level, is it kind of the same thing? i got about 40 seconds left here. Yeah, um, and it, that's why it's so rare when you find like a gem or somebody who gives really, really smart analysis. Um, JJ Redick at ESPN has been sort of a rising star over the last year. Um, I, I mean, too often he sort of stirs the pot with hot take stuff, pitting like his newer generation versus older 
you know, older generations that, you know, wish Michael Jordan was still here. Right. But, but uh, yeah, that, that um, nuanced analysis is harder to come by in the social media age where everything has to be boiled down to these 30-second clickbait sort of viral, viral headlines. Hey, Jesse, uh, everybody should read your column at awfulannouncing.com, and everybody should check out awfulannouncing.com. It's some great stuff on there. Jesse Pantusco, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Okay, we'll be right back. Yeah, today was one of those uh, days I like doing this show because I can do whatever I want. I never have anybody really tell me what topic to choose or tell me afterwards that the topic I did choose they didn't like and don't do it anymore. I've been here five years, never had anybody say anything like that to me. Uh, So today I do a a segment on how the Chinese are infiltrating our schools, and I follow that up with a, a segment on Sports Center. Uh, that's kind of the way I like to do it, and that's why I, I hope that you like that idea too. And I think by now, uh, when you tune in, tune in you kind of know that that's what you're likely to get. It could be anything. I, I stay, I stick mostly, maybe even more than I'd actually like to, to uh, the politics and stuff like that. But and I try to mix the culture in. But uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do X's and O's when it comes to sports. I'm going to talk about things like I talked about today, like. Uh, the changing culture and the media, things like that. But I, I as I was uh, talking to Jesse Pantusco, and again, it's awfulannouncing.com. Doesn't sound, if you're not aware of that, it maybe, maybe it doesn't sound like a website you'd be interested in, but they do serious stuff there. Uh, it's not, it's, it's, and they, they have a big following. Awfulannouncing.com. I'm not sure if it's liberal or woke or any of that because I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it, but. Um, I'll let you know about that, but I'm going to be looking to get people like Jesse on maybe a little bit more often. Um, but I, as I mentioned to him, I was doing, I was still doing TV in the late nineties and going into the early two thousands. And it used to frustrate me because, um, we didn't have, they didn't, they didn't think sports was important enough or the, or they, I'm talking about the, the management at KDKA TV was where I finished, but, uh, they didn't think it was important enough to, do anything that was hard hitting or or um, controversial. They wanted me to. So you're left with you're you're expecting people to keep. You're they're wondering why people aren't as interested in seeing sports on TV when you're still giving them highlights the same way you did in 1978 when the Penguins televised 15 games a year, as opposed to now when they televise every single game. I used to I used to say it all the time, and they, their eyes would glaze over. They they, they didn't care about it. So, uh, and 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 if I tune in now, and I'll see one of my old friends uh, on a Sunday morning or something, he'll be promoting their the morning sports coming up. Uh, you know, before the during the commercial, he'll say, "And coming up, the Pirates lose to the Braves. We'll have highlights for you. It's ten o'clock Sunday morning. The game was over at ten o'clock Saturday night. Come up with something better than that." Please. That's my rant. That's my week. Thanks to Mike and Darren. See you Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.